We're told one professional band director who survived the end of what was called the golden age of bands was Dr. Edwin Franco Goldman. When Edwin was nine years old, his father died, and it was necessary for him and his brother to enter the Hebrew Orphan Asylum in New York City. While their mother worked to establish herself as a piano teacher, Edwin learned to play the cornet, and while still in his teens, earned a scholarship to the National Conservatory of Music, then under the leadership of Antonin Dorjak. By 1895, that is, when he was 17, he was established as a cornet virtuoso, a member of the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra, playing under famous conductors such as Gustav Mahler and Arturo Toscanini. He started conducting in 1905, and six years later, formed the New York Military Band, which he considered to be the beginning of the Goldman Band. The New York Military Band performed summer concerts on the green at Columbia University from 1913 through 1922. In 1921, Goldman changed the name of the band to the Goldman Concert Band, and a year later to just the Goldman Band. Beginning in 1936, the Goldman Band performed its summer concerts on the Mall in New York's Central Park and at Brooklyn's Prospect Park. Its programs consisted mostly of transcriptions, marches, and light and popular music. In 1920, Goldman inaugurated the first American competition for new serious band works in an effort to expand the original literature for bands. Victor Herbert and Percy Granger served as judges and awarded the $500 prize to Carl Bush for his A Chant from the Great Plains. Unfortunately, there was never a second Goldman Band competition. However, for the remainder of his life, Edwin Franco Goldman constantly tried to persuade composers to take an interest in the wind band. That from a study titled The New Winds of Change by Frank Battisti. In addition, Edwin Franco Goldman promoted school and college bands through his travel and guest conducting. In one nine-month period during 1954 and 55, Goldman visited over 100 schools and colleges. Lynn Sams reported an anecdote to the Journal of Band Research, which helps demonstrate Edwin Goldman's interest in school bands. Sams traveled with Goldman on several tours arranged to visit schools. On one particular trip through Oregon, they were passing through a small town and noticed the school building. Goldman wondered if the school had a band, and after a brief discussion, Sams agreed to turn around and find out. After visiting with the school administrators and assuring them that Dr. Goldman was in the car and would not charge to visit with the band, Sams took Goldman in to meet the students and spoke to students for two hours. He conducted, and he met with the students and community members and introduced them to the advantages of playing in the band, also clean living and obligations to the community and the country. Richard Goldman, Edwin's son, continued the traveling his father began. As early as 1938, he conducted at high schools and colleges, even and especially in our region. His college and university guest conducting engagements included Pennsylvania State Teachers College at Mansfield, Oberlin, Susquehanna University, Lehigh University, 
Ohio University, Purdue, Barnard, and many others. As a guest lecturer, Richard Goldman appeared at such places as Brooklyn College, Lehigh University, and Cedar Falls, Iowa. All that from the essay Edwin Franco Goldman, Richard Franco Goldman, and the Goldman Band by J. Kent McAnally. The earnestness of the Goldman family and their dedication to young musicians and also to the building up of the storehouse of original, challenging pieces for the band repertory is evident in a musician and educator like Philip Simon. Philip Simon retired from the Wilkes University music faculty in the recent years. He'd already taught high school band for 29 years. In 2001, he was appointed visiting professor of instrumental studies at Southwestern Adventist University in Texas. He lived in Washington, D.C., or the area, for over 30 years, where he performed professionally on tuba, string bass, and bass guitar. He has been a member of the College Band Directors National Association, the College Music Society, the National Band Association, the Music Educators National Conference, the Pennsylvania Music Educators Association, and the International Association of Jazz Educators. Phil Simon's dedication is also evident in that he has responded to the call from Wilkes to return to the university to continue his work with students. And we'll hear that story from him and learn about the new works the musicians will perform this Sunday at the Dart Center on campus. Mark Johnson, our band director for the last three years, who replaced me, took a job down in Virginia at Christopher Newport University in the middle of July. And the department did not have the time to rehire someone as full-time tenure track person. So they asked me to come back and direct the, the civic band and the jazz ensemble and teach one class in the Music Appreciation, Music 101. And I am grateful to, to have that opportunity, most especially to do the jazz ensemble, because this will be the first time in my college career that I've directed a jazz ensemble. We've always had someone else doing the jazz ensemble at Wilkes, and now I get the wonderful opportunity to work with a really fine group of people in our jazz ensemble. When you've come in the past, Phil, you've talked about the importance and the underappreciated nature of band literature and the bands themselves. I, and I think that that is an ongoing issue for band ensembles, both jazz and concert-type ensembles across the nation. We have continuing problems with attracting an audience. I mean, you go to concerts at places like the University of North Texas, where they have one of the finest wind groups in the world, the North Texas Wind Symphony, and there's barely 100 people in the audience. It's sad to see, but that is the reality of concert performances of bands and wind groups of all kinds, and even, to some degree, jazz ensembles and jazz groups. Uh, we're just not attracting the audiences that we used to. And one of the ways that we try to, to make that work is by doing things like this, coming on Art Scene and talking about our programs and the wonderful nature of the music. And it does, I think, help to boost our audience. We've had good success over the last 10, 15 years with uh, with our audiences, in part thanks to the appearances on our art scene. On a show like this, we can also share the music so people hear what it sounds like and not just trying to imagine it. Tell us about what would be the makeup of a typical wind band. Typical wind ensemble would be uh, a woodwind section that includes flutes, oboes, bassoon, clarinet, 
saxophone, a full set of saxophones, alto, tenor, and baritone sax. And then a brass section that includes trumpets, horns, euphoniums, tubas, trombones. And a percussion section uh, that includes all of the major percussion instruments, timpani, snare drum, bass drum, cymbals, etc. Oh, also mallet instruments. So you typically have anywhere between about 35 and 75 or 80 people in a larger size concert band. And they're called by various names, sometimes depending on the size. A wind ensemble is typically 42 or smaller. A concert band is up to about 60. A symphonic band would be anything larger than 60. But there's other names that are used as well, like a wind orchestra and wind symphony. They all mean basically the same thing collection of band instruments. No strings mentioned. Well, sometimes, occasionally, string bass. We have a string bass in in our concert band, which we call the Civic Band because it includes some members from the community. And in some ensembles, like the Marine Band, for instance, there's always four cellos. The Marine Band has consistently carried four cellos, and I believe the Air Force Band does too. They've consistently carried four cellos for as long as I can remember. Yeah, it's not unusual to see four cellos and two string basses in the military bands in D.C. I can remember, in fact, one of my band boosters in my first high school band job became my band booster's president. Previously played cello in the Marine Band. And those are the low strings, right? So that's to provide the bottom. Right. Provides a nice pad of sound that uh, doesn't need to take a breath. (laughs) What were your considerations now? You're coming back. This is the first big concert of the season, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, the uh, the first concert, the Civic Band concert on Sunday, December 4th at 3 p.m. is going to be a mixture of different eras and different styles of band music. We're going to open with the Scherzo for Band by Rossini, which is an original band piece by Rossini. And yet, as you listen to it, and I hope maybe you'll play a, uh, a section of it, you probably have the Marine Band recording of it, that recording will sound very much like a Rossini overture. You could imagine this piece being an early Rossini overture to an opera. There's, there's thematic material that sounds just like opera material, and it's, it's a wonderful piece of music. And a great way to open. Absolutely, it's a great opening. Yeah, it moves quite fast, too. It's a scherzo that moves at about 160 beats a minute. It really flies by. So then we're going to move on to uh, Rosmedra, and it's a big anniversary for Ralph Vaughan Williams, Rafe Vaughan Williams, I should say, and uh, it, you know, it's a good way to, to honor him. It's one of his lesser played pieces, even though it's a very fine band arrangement by Walter Beeler. So it's a good opportunity for us to highlight the importance of Vaughn Williams as one of the great composers of the 20th century. And we know that bands flourished in in England. There's so much literature, isn't there? Still do, yeah. The band movement in England has not slowed down to the extent that, that it has in the United States. There are still brass bands and community bands, town bands, all over the country, and some of them are very, very good. Some of them are really quite remarkable, in fact. The next piece is uh, a new piece of music that will be a world premiere for us by one of our band members and one of my former students, tuba students, uh, Ryan Lemereau, has written a piece called To Walk Upon This Piece of Earth, which was inspired by political events that began to take shape during uh, the pandemic. There's an extensive uh, write-up about the piece in the program notes, I can say that it is very modern, in places very dissonant, and really reflects the divisions in in our country over the last five, six years that are politically motivated. So I think it's going to be a very compelling piece for people to listen to. 
I'm trying to convince Ryan to guest conduct it, but he has, he has not yet given me the go-ahead that he's going to conduct it. But I'm looking forward to conducting it because it's a wonderful piece of music, and I hope that we're going to be able to get it published. I think it's that good a piece that deserves to be published and out there for bands to play. To walk upon this piece of earth, it's P-I-E-C-E, this mm-hmm. plot of earth. But we could hear in that title maybe mm-hmm. the hope for P-E-A-C-E on and, earth. And there is a couple of spots, there are a couple of spots in the piece that are very compelling in that respect where it's very quiet and introspective and there is that hope that peace will reign. Yeah. So uh, the next piece we're going to do after our intermission is Chimes of Liberty March by Edwin Franco Goldman um, and arranged by Laura Schischel, who's one of the great Sousa scholars and Goldman scholars in our country. He's actually the head of music history, the head music history and librarian at the Library of Congress, quite a prestigious position. And he rearranged this from the original Goldman version for a more modern style of concert band but he's kept all of the things that make it such a a wonderful and exciting and stirring march. Uh, Most especially the huge chime solo (laughs) on the the last part of the piece. Yeah, it's a really terrific march. Our listeners may know that Edwin Franco Goldman is second only to John Philip Sousa as the greatest march composer in the history of American marches. And there was the Goldman Band. Curiously enough, the the Goldman Band was one of those bands that uh, was at the forefront of the band movement in the 40s, 50s, and mid right up till the mid-60s. Goldman Band played numerous concerts every week in New York City for years. Uh, Many of the members of the New York Philharmonic also played in the Goldman Band, so it was a first-class, really superb professional ensemble. Uh, The next piece on the program is Rift and Wed by Julie Giroux, and it's dedicated to a person who I hold dear, uh, my mentor and teacher at the University of North Texas, Dennis Fisher, and his ensemble, the North Texas Symphonic Band. A fabulous piece based upon a game that's played online. It's a, a fantasy piece. And I'm not even sure whether Dennis played this game online with others or not, but it's one of those things that a lot of the members of the band play online, and they have a good deal of fun with it. So they took to the piece right away. It's just a lovely piece of music. So I think it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun for people to hear this one, probably for the first time. And then our final piece, and this kind of wraps up this notion that we're doing a real wide mixture of styles is one of the great classics of the concert band repertoire, Chorale and Shaker Dance by John Zedeklik. This is a piece that has stood the test of time for 40 years now, written in the early 70s, and one of those pieces that virtually every high school and college concert band and professional band has played at some point along the way. I think this is probably the seventh or eighth time that I've conducted this piece. It's one of my very favorites, and it's about as exciting as it gets. You wouldn't have chosen to end the program with anything no, less, no. When, right? When, when we talked about it, when we were talking about how to program this concert, the band and I unanimously agreed that, that this had to be the last piece on the program. It's a very powerful ending, and it's based on the gift to be simple, Shaker Dance, and it's just a wonderful treatment of it. And again, that's Sunday, December 4th at the Dart Center for the Performing Arts, mm-hmm. and you're going to do it at 3 in the afternoon. So we'll move on to uh, our next concert, which is the next evening. It's the uh, Chamber Orchestra with John Vida as our conductor. John has been the conductor of the Chamber Orchestra for, I think, about 10 years now, and does a wonderful job with us. We're doing two very interesting pieces on this program. The first one is one that's probably familiar with a lot of the listeners, uh, Ancient Dancers and Dances by Ottorino Respighi. 
a terrific piece of music with lots of really evocative material from the 16th and 17th centuries. So it's a piece that I think has, a lo has long legs in terms of the number of times that listeners might have heard it on this station or other classical stations. And then the second piece that we'll do is probably much less well-known, but in its own way a very interesting and compelling piece. It's the Symphony Number no. 1 in C, Four Ages of Man by Karl Dittersdorf. It's a four-movement symphony that doesn't quite make a real symphony because there's not much development in the first and last movements. Uh, the relatively short movements with almost no real development because it's really before the time that symphonies take on the, the larger scale of uh, uh, outside movements that have internal development sections. So it's an interesting piece because it kind of prefaces the classical era. Dittersdorf has his foot in the classical era, but that's about it. And from what I can tell, there's only two or three recordings of it available. There's, there's some interesting material in it, though. Uh, you can hear some things that could have been written by Beethoven, <laughs> but weren't. So then the next concert is Thursday, December 7th, 7.30 p.m., and that is our Wilkes University Jazz Ensemble. And I'm thrilled to say that I'm conducting that group this year. For the first time in my college teaching career, I have the opportunity to work with the Jazz Ensemble. Uh, I did a little bit of work with uh, the jazz ensembles at, at the University of North Texas. I had a chance to play in the summer jazz ensemble one year, uh, but that's about it until this year. And I'm really thrilled with the progress of the group and the repertoire that we're playing and some of the, some of the things that I think are going to be part of the evening. So we've, we're doing 10 tunes, 10 charts. One is really one of the most famous of all big band charts for high school and college bands. That's Down Basie Street by Dave Wolpe. Uh, the next tune on the program will be Blues and Haas Flat, which is a very famous Count Basie tune uh, written by Count Basie and Frank Foster and arranged by Mark Taylor. It's one of the iconic tunes from the Basie book. The next one comes from the Maynard Ferguson Library, written and arranged by Dennis de Blasio. It's Coconut Champagne. It's a Latin barn burner that really moves. And unique to this piece is a baritone saxophone solo. It's played by our freshman baritone saxophonist, and she does a great job on it. Next piece on the program is uh, Killer Joe by Benny Golson, arranged by Les Hooper. This is a really nice arrangement of the tune. I think it's one that uh, probably most listeners haven't heard because it was written primarily for school groups, but it's really well done. It's a, a very, very cool piece of music. The next one uh, that we're going to do is In the Mood by Joe Garland, the, the original uh, Glenn Miller version of In the Mood with the original solos written out so that it sounds virtually identical to the original Glenn Miller recording. And that's the tradition in doing this piece is that the soloists always play the original solos. Once a year you can go down to DC and hear the Airmen of Note do their original Glenn Miller band concert because they're the legacy band for the Glenn Miller Orchestra. When, when the band came back from World War II, they were already the Army Air Force Jazz Orchestra and they immediately transitioned to the Airmen of Note and have been so ever since. So once a year, the Airmen of Note do a Glenn Miller tribute concert in the original World War II uniforms. And it's really cool to see that. And it's a wonderful experience. So what, one of the things that I'm really trying to do with this concert is to do as much of a retrospective and a prospective of the big band era and big band music as we possibly can. So there's something from from just about every every one of the, the real big bands and the, 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 the top quality groups. Another one that comes from the Basie book is Tribute to Basie by Carol DeCamp. That'll be next on it. And then this one, 
This next tune, which is called Simon Swings, needs a little bit of a setup. About 40 years ago, I had a student in my first high school band named Greg Holmes. And Greg was a decent trumpet player, quite a good trumpet player actually, and was interested in arranging music. So he came to me one day with a stack of music. And I looked through that stack and I said, this is pretty good stuff, Greg, you're doing, doing nice work here, but there's no score, it's all parts. <laughs> and he reminded me of this just recently, last Thursday when he came up to the band room to rehearse this chart that he wrote for me during the pandemic. This was kind of a pandemic project for him. He sent it to me, and at that point, I did not have a band to rehearse it with. So I listened to the finale version of it and thought it was a great chart. And then all of a sudden this summer, I find out that I'm going to be doing the jazz ensemble at Wilkes and absolutely goes in the program. And Greg and I have reconnected after 40 years. We had dinner together last week. He came to the rehearsals. The band loved him. He's going to come to the concert. So this is an opportunity for our audience to hear a true world premiere of a piece that's never been played live before with the composer in the audience. Uh, and I'm thrilled to say that my friend and former student, Greg Holmes, will be in the audience to, to hear this piece along with the audience. The next to last piece on the program then is going to be Monin, arranged by Quincy Jones. And this is the traditional blues Monin, not the one that you hear more often. So I think this will be fun for the audience to listen to. And it's just kind of a laid back, sit back and just enjoy the, enjoy the vibe. And then finally, the last piece on the program is going to be Take the A-Train, the, the classic by Duke Ellington and Billy Strayhorn. And uh, it's transcribed by the, the fellow who has transcribed most of the Ellington classics for the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra. And that's, that's who originally did this arrangement. This is the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra's arrangement of Take the A-Train. This is not an easy piece of music, and that gives you an idea of how good this jazz ensemble is. It's, it's really going to be a good evening. I'm looking forward to this a great deal. So finally, we have one more concert of all the concerts that uh, we're giving this time around. The, the Wilkes University Choral Ensembles with Matthew Rupchich as the conductor is going to present a concert of choral music on Sunday, December 11th, 3 p.m. at St. Stephen's Episcopal Pro-Cathedral on Franklin Street in Wilkesbury. So we hope that people will flock to that concert and go to hear our wonderful choral groups. Simon, who has retired from the Wilkes University Music Faculty, but has returned as an adjunct faculty member, and he will conduct the Civic Band and the Jazz Ensemble this week in this season finale concerts for these ensembles. On Sunday, December 4th at 3 p.m. at the Dart Center for the Performing Arts on the campus of Wilkes University in Wilkes-Barre, it is the Civic Band Concert, and as we heard, there will be music of Rossini, Rayvon Williams, and works that we probably haven't heard by Ryan Lamoureux, Julie Giraud, 
and much more. And the world premiere piece is To Walk Upon This Piece of Earth by Ryan Lamoureux. The Chamber Orchestra concert will be directed the next evening by John Vida at 8 o'clock at the Dart Center for the Performing Arts. And that will feature Ancient Airs and Dances by Ottorino Respighi and a symphony by Carl Ditters von Dittersdorf, Symphony No. 1 in C major. The Jazz Ensemble will perform on Thursday, December 7th at 7.30 at the Dart Center. And as we heard, music by Basie, inspired by Basie. Also, the world premiere of Simon Swings that was written by Gregory Holmes as a tribute to his one-time teacher and now friend, Phil Simon. The world premiere performance and then this work, Monin, and Quincy Jones' arrangement of Monin. And of course, take the eight train, Ellington, and Strayhorn. So you have Count Basie, Glenn Miller, Joe Garland, Gregory Holmes, and Art Blakey's Monin. And that's all directed by Phil Simon, Thursday, December 7th at 7.30 at the Dart Center. And then the Wilkes University Choral Ensembles under the direction of Matthew Rupsich will perform Sunday, December 11th at 3 at St. Stephen's Episcopal Pro Cathedral, 35 South Franklin Street in Wilkes-Barre. There is no admission charge for any of these performances, and you can find more information at wilkes.edu, wilkes.edu. 